It's uh, and it's from Ephesians 1, 7 through 14. And it is God speaking to us through Paul writing to the Ephesians. And it begins, okay. In him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness for our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Vicki. Good morning. Uh, my name's Tony, and it's a pleasure to be here and able to bring the word to you this morning. In a couple of days, 2012 is going to, to end, and it's going to be another year behind us. You know, we're going to be another year older. The year ends are always kind of milestones for me because my oldest daughter, Abigail, her birthday is December 24th, so Christmas Eve, so I've got to remember that one. So, uh, you know, so it's always, she's doing these first things right at the end of the year. So last year it was, you know, I can't believe I have a daughter who's missing her two front teeth. And this year it's, I can't believe I'm so old now, I have a daughter who's who's eight. I mean, that's eight years old. So she's halfway to driving. And then another eight years or 10 years after that, she might actually be able to go on her first date. You know, I don't know. That's that's the way Ben tells me it's supposed to work. I don't know. So, but we're getting older, you know, and and I'm starting to realize that that I'm I'm a full-fledged adult now. And one of the things I realized as being an adult is that you go on a lot of job interviews. And those can really go, you know, one of two ways. Sometimes those just go really well. And you're there, you're laughing, you're talking to the guy, you know, making plans, and it's just great. And other times, not so much. So I, don't know, I don't know, have you guys ever been on, on any really bad job interviews? Uh, I, I've, been, I've been on my fair share. I've been on, on the one where the guy takes the personal phone call, talks for 20 minutes while you're sitting there. I went on one where the guy just like stone-faced, you know, doesn't smile, doesn't laugh, and you know, for me that can be a problem. Perhaps the uh, the worst interview I went on, the guy took out takes out fingernail clippers and he starts to give himself like a little manicure as as we're talking, and you know, maybe if you're a nail tech, that's a thing, but as an accountant, you know. Let's just say there's no need to call back in two weeks to find out about that job. You know, you didn't, you didn't get it. So one of the bad interviews I went on, uh, I was in college, and I was looking for an internship-type position, and the guy calls me in and sit down, hand him my resume. He looks at it, and he says, what do you want? I say, uh, could you explain that a little bit more? You know, what do I want out of 
out of life? What do I want out of this job? You know, what do I want out of college? What do you want? So I come up with some answer, kind of trying to tie in my lifelong plans with this job. But, you know, I don't, I don't think it was very good because I didn't get the job. And that was his only question. After I answered, he says, okay, thank you. I, I left. For him, the most important thing was, what do you want? And a lot of times, that's the most important question for ourselves too, right? We, especially at this time of year, as we're looking at the next year, we start asking, what do, what do I want out of, this, out of this next year? You know, we start thinking through our goals and our resolutions, and we try to make plans. And sometimes those plans work out, but, but a lot of times they don't. And we start to realize that uh, the great Calvinist theologian Mick Jagger was right when he said, you can't always get what you want. Right? You can't. And Mick, he's really right. Just perhaps not for the reasons that he, he believes. We don't always get what we want. But the reason for that is because there's somebody else out there right, with, with a plan. There's somebody who's, who's bigger than us and who's, who's more important than us. Right? God has a plan. And he's the only one exempt from Mick Jagger's truth. Right? He always gets what he wants. So we have plans, and God has plans, and because that's true, what we need to do is we need to consider how we can fit our life and our plans into God's cosmic plan. And the first step, of course, in doing this is to figure out what what is God's plan? What is he doing? So let's look back at the passage starting in verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So I think from that passage we we can summarize God's plan this way. That God is working to unite heaven and earth through the forgiveness offered in Christ. Now, if we're not careful, when we read our Bibles and we look through redemption history, we can think that Jesus might have been God's plan B or plan C. But that's not the case. But we can think that sometimes, right? We, we read Adam and Eve and see, okay, God created Adam and Eve. He, he put the sin tree there, which was, you know, a little weird, but he did that and Adam eats the fruit and sins, and then God looks down, just kind of shakes his head. All right, what am I going to do now? He says, okay, well, you know what? Maybe I'll make a list, right? Because all the wives here know that lists are important. You send your husband to the grocery store, and you tell him what you want. Who knows what's going to happen, right? In my case, you will get chocolate chip cookies. You may not get the eggs. You know, you don't know. So God says, okay, I'm going to make a list. So he gives them the Ten Commandments, and... You know, that didn't really work either. So eventually he turns to Jesus and says, all right, Jesus, you're up. No, but that's, that's not what happened. Jesus was always God's plan A. And God planned a plan from the beginning to send Christ. That's why it says in verse 10 that Christ was sent uh, as, as a plan for the fullness of time. God was waiting until, until the designated right time to fully reveal his plan. Peter describes it this way in Acts 2, chapter 20, or verse 23, when he's giving a message. He says, this Jesus 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Right? So God created the world with a definite plan that he would that he kept it a mystery until the, the fullness of time when he finally reveals it in Christ. So we can look back at Genesis. You know, after Adam and Eve sin, God says to Eve that you're going to have there's going to be a man, the serpent's going to bite the man's heel, but the man will crush the serpent's head. And so from then on they're looking for for some sort of serpent crusher who's going to come and defeat Satan and get us back to the garden. And then a little later, God reveals a little bit more of his plan, right? And he says to Abraham, through your descendant, all the nations of the world is going to be blessed. Then he reveals it a little bit more, and he promises that there's going to be an eternal king in the line of David. And all the time, he's slowly revealing, little by little, his mystery and his plan. And then finally, it's fully revealed through Christ in his birth, life, death, and resurrection. Yeah. At his birth, the king was born who would bless all men everywhere and who would one day destroy the serpent. And we see that he does accomplish this, right, in Revelation. See, first we see Jesus sitting on the throne in chapter 4 as the eternal king. And then in chapter 7, he's surrounded by martyrs from from all over the world, from every nation worshiping him. And that shows that all the nations were blessed. And then finally at the very end, we see that God throws Satan in the lake of fire, finally destroying the serpent. And everything that he promised and everything that he planned, we know will one day come true because he always gets what he wants. But where we stand today as, as a point in time, as a point in history, that hasn't happened yet, right? Jesus has come, but he's not yet ruling as the eternal king. His name has been spread through, through most places throughout the world, but not through every nation. God has overcome Satan, especially in the lives of believers, but he hasn't destroyed Satan yet. So we see that the promises will be fulfilled, but they haven't been fulfilled today. And now here's where things kind of get really exciting, right? Because God's plan to unite heaven and earth through Christ includes us. We are instruments that God is going to use to bring about his plan. The first part of his plan was to accentuate his grace against the backdrop of our sin by saving us. Like it says in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. But he just doesn't forgive us. He also gives us the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live out his grace to the world. Look at verse 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So God gives us the Holy Spirit so we can live for the glory of God, and as people hear the good news of our salvation, and as they see the grace in which we live our lives, they turn around and they praise God for it. And in that cycle, people see and hear the gospel And they start to turn, uh, ask for forgiveness and get saved. And bit by bit, little by little, earth and heaven are being united. And that God invites us into his story and his plan is really amazing stuff. I I got a a Christmas card this year. And it shows two shepherds talking to each other and they're peeking into the manger. 
And one shepherd says to the other one, you know, if this doesn't make it into the Bible, nothing will. And I think it's funny because, because my tendency is to think about Bible stories and, and the characters in the Bible as just being on a whole other plane. You know, like that was what God was doing, you know, amazing thing then. And now we're just kind of living, you know, also ran. And sometimes I just wonder, you know, did they realize what they were being a part of? You know, did the, when they were walking across the Red Sea, did they realize that this was going to be told for thousands of years, that they're going to make movies about this? When, uh, you know, when Paul writes about random people in his letters, did those people who saw their names, did they realize that this was not just a letter, this was actually Scripture? You know, did they realize that they were being a part of a time and something that was really pretty epic? But, you know, the truth is that we're living in an epic time, too. See, there isn't going to be, you know, a New Testament remix or a Bible part two that we get to be, you know, named in. But we are part of, of working out God's plan just as much as the Israelites were in the Old Testament, just as much the people in Jerusalem were in the first century. You know, some people saw the beginning of God's history. Some people saw the middle. And we're working out the end. So the nations surrounding Jesus on the throne are going to get there through our work. The events that are leading up to Jesus finally crushing the serpent's head are playing out right now, and he invites us to be a part of that. So here's where we are. God's plan is to unite heaven and earth through Christ's forgiveness, and he gives us a role to play in that work. But as we look at this year, as we consider God's cosmic plan, there's, there's a problem. See, how do we go from, from the general God wants us to glorify him, he wants us to work out his, his plan, to the specific reality of what am I going to be doing next week? And see, this is, can be a real problem because there's few things that Christians really uh, enjoy doing more than agonizing over what God's specific plan for my life is, right? There's books written on it. There's all sorts of methods out there for discovering it. Even when we share the gospel, you know, it works its way into that. You know, Campus Crusade has the four spiritual laws. And the first spiritual law is this, right? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Right? And there's nothing wrong with wanting to pursue God's plan for your life. And the Bible tells us in James that if you're lacking wisdom, ask. He's happy to give it to you. But the problem is, is when we start to become obsessive over it. See, we really tend to run into one of two problems when it comes to trying to fit our plans into God's plan. The first is that we we under-spiritualize our plans, and we divorce it of the reality of God's glory and make it about ourselves. And the second thing we can do is we can over-spiritualize it, where everything becomes this, the spiritual decision, and then we can paralyze to make any decision. The first problem of, of under-spiritualizing happens because, you know, as Americans, we're just so individualistic. And as we start, start thinking about God's plan for my life, we emphasize and start to think of God's plan for my life as, as we emphasize ourselves, I'm sorry, and we start to think about God's plan for my life as a silo, just kind of standing alone in a field, as if, as if God's plan for me is just an independent entity. You're not connected to anything else. And that makes us the central point of God's plan. And we start to think of the things in our lives 
as a means for our glorification and not as a means for God's glorification. And we don't do this intentionally, right? It's subtle. So, for instance, when we start to look for a spouse, you know, usually we have some sort of checklist, right? So we say, okay, is this somebody who I like being with? Check. Is this somebody I like looking at, right? Check. Is this person a Christian? Check. And at the end of the checklist, though, the, the, really the question is, is this person going to make me happy? You know, or to say it another way, is this person going to glorify me? But the real question we should be asking is, is this person somebody who's going to help me glorify God? And I know that's a nebulous idea, so let me give you an example. Uh, I don't know if you know a lot about communist Romania, but uh, during the Cold War, Romania was a dangerous place to be a Christian. There was, there was a lot of persecution. And Richard Wombrandt, who is a pastor from Romania, tells a story about how when the communists took over, they started to infiltrate the church. And so they called together this big national convention of pastors and church leaders, and Richard's there with his wife, Sabina, and all these church leaders start, start standing up and praising the communists and declaring their loyalty to the government. And Richard's wife, Sabina, looks at him and says, Richard, stand up and wash away the shame from the face of Christ. And Richard, who's probably a little scared, you know, he says, if I do that, you'll lose your husband. And she replied, I don't wish to have a coward as a husband. See, that's the type of spouse you should look for. <laughs> right? You should marry the type of man or woman who will encourage you and sacrifice with you so that the point of your marriage will not be your mutual happiness, but will be what's described in verse 14 as to the praise of His glory. Now, if you're already married... You shouldn't be looking for a spouse like Sabina, right? You should be a spouse like Sabina. And we should strive to be the ones who encourage and challenges our husband, our wife, to more godliness. The ones who encourage us to sacrifice money, time, and comfort so that God's glory will be known in Winterhaven and in the world. But it's not just our marriages where we're tempted to live for our own glory. It's in all aspects of our lives. I mean, just think about your job. right? What happens if if you get passed over for a promotion, right? If, if your job is just a means to the ends of your glorification and God's plan for your wonderful life, then what happens? You start to pout. You start to get depressed. Maybe you start immediately looking for another job. Maybe you even start sabotaging the guy who got the promotion. But if, you, if you're living for God's glory, it changes. And you say, okay, well, well, now how do I humbly show God's grace and his glory in this situation? Maybe you try to help the person. Maybe you start praying for the person. Or when you're the one who gets the promotion, right? If, if the promotion is just the means for your glorification, then what do you do? You start lording it over the little guys who didn't get it. Rather than, than humbly trying to use that blessing as a, means of accentu- ex- as a means of showing Christ's light in your life. You know, so if we're going to avoid the first pitfall of making our plans and by extension, our lives about our glorification, we need to remember that God's plan for our life is not a silo standing alone. It's intertwined with his plan to unite heaven and earth. The second pitfall we have to be aware of is to over-spiritualize plans. Like here we, we, we agonize over every decision. You know, 
we, we make every decision a moral decision. Is this, is this really what God has for me? And, you know, maybe we even, we even look back at our life and we think that maybe sins derailed, derailed us from God's plan A or God's plan B or God's plan C. And now we're not really thinking of God's plan as a silo, more like a leaning tower of Pisa. We're just trying to make the best of it that we can. We stress out. We want to know for sure that every detail of our life is part of that plan. And our danger here is that we get paralyzed into inactivity. We don't step out to glorify God's name because we can never be quite sure that this is what we're we're doing is right. But God doesn't normally give us the details of what we're supposed to be doing. Instead, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And he gives us wisdom. And he gives us a community so that we can make decisions with confidence. And as we seek to plug our lives into God's plan, he will direct our decisions, oftentimes even without us knowing that he's doing that. That's what it's talking about in Proverbs 16, 9, when it says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So we should make sure our plans, while, while trusting that God is still in control, And just know that he's never going to let us miss plan A. Because God always gets what he wants. And God's sovereignty really should give us the freedom to take action. But we still stress out about it, right? I mean, but could you really imagine this happening, right? You go before God on judgment day, and he looks down at your life, and he looks at you, and he says, Oh, I see. You were an ophthalmologist, but I wanted you to be an optometrist, right? Subtle difference, but I'm still going to have to give you the thumbs down. No, he's not going to do that. Because the Bible does not direct us to figure out some mysterious plan for our lives. Instead, it charges us with revealing the mystery of God's plan of salvation to the world. If you want to know God's plan for your life, here it is in verse 12. We who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. See, it's fine to ask for wisdom from God. In fact, we're encouraged to do it. But we shouldn't be looking for our silo plan, and we shouldn't be stressing out over every detail. We should be looking for ways we can fit our lives into God's plan, make a decision, and then just do it. Let me give you an example. Jonathan mentioned this, Amber and I are or exploring the possibility of becoming missionaries to Nicaragua. You know, the next step is in a couple of weeks we go to Atlanta for a week-long evaluation with MTW where they kind of decide whether or not they think that we have the right personality type and that we would be a good fit for the field. Now, you know, Amber and I have kind of always had some feeling for towards mission, some desire for it, but life kind of got in the way and we never really made any, any steps in that direction. And then, really, a couple of years ago, Jonathan gave a message here, and he was talking about the, the great need for missionaries. And he talked about how more missionaries are coming off the field retiring than actually going on the field being sent. And so I listened to that, and I thought about that, and I said, well, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm going to seminary. You know, I, I'd be happy to be a missionary. Maybe this is something that I really should start considering. So talked to Amber about it, we talked about it, we prayed about it, and then finally, in March, we said, okay, well, we need to, you know, take some action in this area, so we went to Drew, we talked to Drew about it, and he said, hey, have you considered Nicaragua? It's a, it's a pretty good fit, we're already very cl- working real closely with the Lathrops there, 
so we'd have a, a good, strong connection, got a good, strong relationship with you guys. And, you know, there's just a huge need in Nicaragua. So we, we went down to Nicaragua for a weekend, and we, we got to see the Lathrops. We got to see the city. We got to say, okay, is this doable for us? And we said, okay, yeah, I think we can move our four daughters here, and I think we could shop here. And, you know, and on top of that, there's just this big need for missionaries to go down there and to, to train people. So we came back, talked to friends about it. We, we sought the, the wisdom of our session here, prayed about it. And so now, now we're taking action. You know, we made our decision. But our decision was largely based on practical issues, right? There was no angel of the Lord coming down to us, kind of directing us on what to do. You know, there, there was no funny dreams. I didn't peer into tea leaves and determine that you know, Nicaragua is what God was having for me. Because I didn't need to do that, right? Because God's plan to, is to glorify himself in the nations, and we're just fitting our lives into that plan. You know, God's working to unite heaven and earth, and I just want to be part doing that work too. And you can be a part of it as well. Yeah, because the, this work that God's doing, it's not just foreign missions. You know, when we talk about glorifying God, we're talking about living in such a way that God's grace is accentuated against the backdrop of sin, right? So that can mean reaching out and meeting the physical needs of people in our community, right? Because Jesus certainly did that. It means loving people who hate you. It means caring for people who are hurting. Ask yourself a few questions. Who are you praying for at work that the Lord would use to, to witness to? When you conduct yourself in business, do you connect the dots between the integrity of your name and the glory of God's name? Do you, do you treat your marriage as a picture of the way that Christ loved the church? And do other people see that? Of course, the first question, though, that we have to ask is, have we ourselves been united with heaven? Right? Because the good news about God's promise to unite heaven and earth is good news only in light of the bad news that heaven and earth are separated through sin. And because of our sin... We're facing the judgment and punishment of God. But Christ came in, right? And he, he died for us. And he took the penalty of our sin. So that now if we turn to him, if we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful to forgive us and to redeem us. And if you haven't made that decision, I hope you would. Maybe pull Drew or Jonathan aside today and talk to him a little bit more about that. But for those of us who have as we make our plans for this next year, as we look into 2013, we make plans to, to lose right weight or to read our Bibles more, to finish household pro- projects. Let's also consider how we are living to, pr- to the praise of God's glory. And remember, we don't, we don't have to agonize over this. We don't have to make it super spiritual because God's given us the Holy Spirit. And He's going to direct our steps. And he's going to make us instruments in his plan to unite heaven and earth through Christ. Because he always gets what he wants. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are in control of the universe, Lord. And that you have a wonderful plan of grace to unite heaven and earth through Christ. And we pray, Lord, as we go through this next year and as we start thinking through making plans, Lord, that we would consider how our plans 
would fit into your plan. Pray, Lord, that we would not get dragged down by thinking that your plan is about us, to glorify us, or that we would not get paralyzed into fear about taking the wrong action, but that we would step forward with confidence and seek to to be part of your work of uniting heaven and earth. In Jesus' name, amen. At the center of all that God is doing in the world, what the scripture calls the mystery of God um, from all the ages is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is uh, in himself the wisdom of God. And uh, in him, we are told in the scriptures that all of God's promises are yes and amen to us. And so what freedom we have uh, to not worry about doing it right. Uh, Amen. As we move again toward a new year, uh, that that line we just sang uh, really should be the echo of our hearts and our lives, and that is from him, through him, and to him is everything. So as you go from here, everything in your life, from your life, through your life, to your life, uh, should point you too and point others to the work of God in Christ for us. So as you go, receive this benediction as the promise that he goes with you as the fuel and the power for you to accomplish that work. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace. Amen.